Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. Your hosts, Russell and Dr. P. We're solution architects based out of Australia, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program. It's Russell here, and I have Dr. Pete with me. How are you, Dr. Pete? Oh, very well, Russell. Thank you very much. And guys, welcome to the program. Now, it's summit season here at AWS, so we have a number of summits going on globally, also in Asia Pacific and in Australia New Zealand. And Dr. Pete and I were at the Sydney summit recently where there were a few announcements that we thought you guys might find quite interesting. For me, as, as a big data guy, of a special interest was the Snowball appliance, which allows you to move large amounts of data into the AWS cloud. How big is that appliance, Pete? That's actually 80 terabytes, Russ. That is a huge amount of storage. And in fact, it's the size of a suitcase. And we ship it to you, you fill it up with your information and data, and you send it back to us. Fantastic. So we don't have time today to go into more detail on that, but if you are interested in the Snowball appliance, have a look um, on the website for Snowball, and it'll give you all the details. A couple of the other services that we announced will be coming to Sydney soon included API Gateway and also Lambda. And Pete, I think you caught up with a couple of the key guys there. I did indeed, Russ. Um, these two are very exciting services. And we were fortunate enough to have both, not one, but two, both product managers who look after these two services. So I took them aside and we spent a bit of time having a good chat about what these services are doing and how they've evolved over time. And in fact, we're going to include them in the show so you can listen in and get an insider's view of what's happening in that space. Well, I haven't heard this interview, Pete, and I am intrigued. So please roll the tape. Let's do it. With me today, I have two very special guests who are joining us in sunny Sydney, Australia, and they are? Uh, hi, folks. Uh, I'm Ajay Nair. Uh, I lead product management for a product called AWS Lambda. Hi, everyone. I'm Stefano Bugliani, and I'm the product manager for Amazon API Gateway. So it's a very special day because uh, it's very hard and rare to get at least one of these guys in the room, and to have two of them at the same time is uh, quite a privilege. So guys, uh, I'd love to be able to get your thoughts on a couple of things um, and also introduce the services to our customers and listeners. So RJ, would you mind just telling us a little bit about what is AWS Lambda because there's a lot of talk about that in the, in the marketplace mm -hmm. and there's nothing better than hearing it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Sure. Uh, well, first I want to say one thing is we've been waiting to come to Sydney for a long time and you know it's, it's great to have the opportunity to spend time with both the customers and, and the team down here. So. Lambda itself is a, we talk about Lambda as a compute service in the sense that it allows you to run arbitrary code. We refer to it as a, a serverless compute service uh, at times because Lambda allows you to run code without having to think about servers at all. So when you're writing applications to the cloud, today a lot of people have to have the responsibilities of setting up and managing servers. This includes scaling them, provisioning them, patching them, operating them. Um, and with Lambda, all that goes away. Uh, AWS takes care of it for you, and you simply deploy your code in a unit that we call a Lambda function, and AWS takes care of everything else for you. We also talk about Lambda as an event-driven compute service in that your code only runs when it has to run in response to things that we call events. These could be changes in data or requests coming in from services like API Gateway and uh, AWS IoT. Um, and together, it kind of gives you a new way of creating applications um, for the cloud and, and 
the kind of things people have been able to do with it is, is nothing sort of amazing. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's been a very, very broad range of applications we have seen. So it's definitely a, a developer service, and we often talk about, you know, uh, the best server is no server at all. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> yep. So can you share a couple of common use cases where customers use AWS Lambda to solve, you know, real-life business problems? Oh, sure thing. You know, one thing that was interesting is how quickly people started using Lambda as a core component of, of powering business logic within very complex applications. You know, two broad applications we see for Lambda are for heavy-duty data processing use cases. So, you know, stuff stored in Amazon S3 or something stored, like streaming data coming with an Amazon Kinesis. Mm -hmm. uh, let me give you kind of a couple of my favorite examples there. So, Periscope is a, is a video streaming service operated by Twitter. And what they use for Lambda for underneath the covers is as people upload videos, they break that video up into three-second chunks and then do adult content detection on that video using Lambda as the service that they're doing it. And the magic about this is they don't longer need to worry about managing servers for flexing with the number of videos people are uploading. Just Lambda automatically scales up and down uh, depending on the videos people are uploading. Uh, and another magical benefit of Lambda is they only pay for the compute time that they're actually consuming. So each video uh, transcoding runs for about 10 to 15 seconds. So literally per video, their costs are in micro cents, not even like for money. So that's pretty cool. So, so yeah. you can actually do video analysis inside Lambda? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the nice thing about Lambda is you are running arbitrary code. Uh, Lambda supports Node and Java and Python today, a standard language stack. And you can bring your own libraries, custom stacks. Uh, in fact, I have a customer who's actually wrapped MATLAB uh, inside a Lambda function. So that's pretty cool. If, yeah. Yeah, if, if, you, if you can make it a library, you can run it as a Lambda function. That's how it stands right now. So how do I get the library into my function? Because people often think of Lambda as a small snippet of code, almost uh -huh. like a macro that glues uh, uh -huh. an event model or uh -huh. part of my data processor. Can I do a lot more? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, by all means, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, Lambda is an event-driven compute service, so you absolutely run these sort of Lambda functions in response to events and definitely recommend keeping the functions modular mm -hmm. uh, uh, or in the sense that sort of keeping with the overall microservices trend, so to speak, of one function should do one thing really well. Yeah. But that thing can be very, very powerful and as complex as you need it to be, right? So uh, including libraries in your code is just as you would deploy an application anywhere else. You can include binary packages or things from NPM or PIP or any of the popular libraries you have. Or, or jar files that you want to include, you simply zip all of it up for your Lambda function definition and pass it on to AWS and we take care of the rest. So you, you can write something as simple as three lines of code or something that is up to a thousand lines of code. But really the principle to follow is do one thing and do one thing really well. Yeah. I think I think customer always imagine the potential of Lambda. Mm -hmm. But remember when it clicked for them, which is when we announced API Gateway at the New York Summit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember we were listening <coughs> to the keynote and when they announced API Gateway and then they said, and by the way, with an API call, you can invoke a Lambda function, they generally received a standing ovation. Yep. That's, that's when awesome. it clicked for everybody uh -huh. how yep. powerful Lambda yeah. could be. And, and that's actually a great point. It kind of leads to the second big use case we see Lambda used for. We talked about these heavy-duty data processing use cases of files and videos coming into S3 and automatically triggering Lambda functions mm -hmm. and processing downstream. The other one that it opens up is building these completely interactive backends using a combination of uh, API Gateway, which yeah. allows you to translate HTTP requests into Lambda calls, mm -hmm. and Lambda being sort of the, the business logic for, for the backend itself. So you can imagine uh, web apps and mobile backends and even you know Slack bots and, and mm -hmm. Facebook bots all being powered by these simple snippets of code with an HTTP route in front of it, 
that scale arbitrarily and you only pay for when a request comes in. Yeah, and that's a great segue actually yeah. to the API gateway, which is Stefano's uh, yeah. uh, bread and butter. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, can you explain it to our listeners? Tell us a little bit more about API Gateway. Absolutely. So, well, the API Gateway pattern is reasonably well understood. The industry has been adopting it for the past few years. And what it boils down to is creating this additional layer of isolation in front of your existing backend and APIs. The classic example of this and what we see our customers using API Gateway for is one, migrating to the AWS cloud. For example, if you have APIs running on-premise, mm-hmm you can create, uh, you can replicate the same API within API Gateway and place it in front of your existing API so that your customers start talking to the API Gateway endpoint rather than the one you have on premise. Mm -hmm. And your next task then is to take that perhaps monolithic application you had built on premise, start decoupling it and moving it to say Lambda in the form of microservices. That happens in a completely hidden fashion. Developers who interact with your API don't need to know about it. And once you're done, all it takes is flip a switch in API Gateway Mm -hmm. so that it stops pointing to your on-premise implementation and now points to your Lambda function. Yeah, that's a great transition story. Exactly, without creating any disruption for the developers that interact with your API. But there's actually a lot more to API Gateway. absolutely. I think one of the coolest ways to look at it is you get also security thrown in, you get throttling thrown in. There's a lot more feature richness in the actual platform. Absolutely, There's an, it is an isolation layer. At AWS in general, we learned a lot about denial of service attacks and how to throttle requests over the past 10 years. And with API Gateway, we, we essentially productize everything we've learned and offered it as a service. So that if you have API Gateway in front of your APIs, we will, out of the box, protect you from attacks. We will absorb them. You don't even need to know about them. We can do authorization on your behalf. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. One of the things that's particularly powerful about API Gateway there is the fact that it treats your service, your APIs, as if you were an AWS service yourself. That's actually a great point. Yeah. yeah. So you can actually expose AWS services as your own and make them feel like a part of your application. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's one of the most interesting use cases we have. Obviously, the Lambda use case is huge. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves the idea yep. of running an entire backend without any servers. Uh, that scales elastically to whatever they need. Uh, but one interesting use case is for data um, <coughs> data ingestion, for example. Uh-huh. Kinesis is a great tool for it. Everybody sure. wants to use Kinesis. However, when you receive data from third-party developers that are not part of your organization, you don't want to tell them, come and get temporary credentials for my AWS account to post to my Kinesis stream. Absolutely. So a lot of our customers are creating a very simple API in API Gateway that proxies straight to Kinesis. And then they use Lambda on the other side to process that stream. Mm-hmm. And but we were talking about this earlier. Uh, we did a demo yesterday on stage at the summit, and we put together an endpoint that proxies to Kinesis in about three minutes. That's and, pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't go far because what well, Ajay was said we, if we wanted to, we could have stood on stage said, okay, now it's published in three minutes. Now I'm going to send a thousand requests per second to it, and it's just going to work. Mm-hmm. So tell me about Sigfor. So Sigfor is actually a way of you know locking things down. Uh, it's supported in um, in AWS services. So yeah, that's tell, right. tell our listeners about how they actually benefit from that in the API gateway. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, API gateway treats your service and your APIs as if you were an AWS service yourself. Uh, if you're used to AWS, you know that for example, when you create an S3 bucket, you get an Amazon resource name for it, an mm-hmm. ARN. Yep. that uniquely identifies that resource. The same is true for a Lambda function or an EC2 instance. Well, API Gateway assigns a unique Amazon resource name for each method in your API. 
for example, the get to slash pets will have its own unique ID and so will the post to slash pets. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that you can then use this ARM with the identity and access management service and centralize all access control in a policy. And well, I am, I'm a developer by background and we've all done this as developers. You start, you build your backend and you put a little if on top saying yep. if it's admin, do this. And exactly. The second day that the, the, the backdoor owner, into your API, yeah, exactly. The yep. business owner comes in and says, actually, it would be cool to do this. And if within two weeks, you end up with two way four pages of mm -hmm. spaghetti ifs. It's very powerful to just get rid of all of that, centralize it in a policy. That's the only place where it can be controlled. And it's very pervasive throughout AWS. Yeah. Because uh, most service services will use it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's declarative as well, right? That's so it's right. auditable if it's hiding in your code. Boy, you know, you can create some backdoors that, uh, you know, you may not want to expose in the future. Right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, guys, so both the services have been out for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. In Amazon, we have this model of launching a service uh, as a, you know, essentially a minimal viable product, just like a startup. Mm -hmm. And then after we launch, we get customer feedback, and our roadmap's highly defined by customer feedback. Mm -hmm. What if we added post-launch to YouTube services? Yeah, respectively. Sure. For example, in Lambda, what have we done that's really noticeable? And uh, you get a lot of feature requests. No, absolutely. Yeah, we listen to those. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, Lambda has launched as a preview um, about a year and a half ago, and it's been generally available for about a year. Uh, and it's it's been a, a very fast paced rise. I can tell you that. Uh, when we started out, Lambda started out as sort of a, a focus with the, on the data processing use cases. So we had S3, DynamoDB, Amazon Kinesis as supported event sources. Uh, you could process data or events showing up on those. A lot of people started putting up sort of these data workflows, composing these pieces together. And very quickly, some enterprising customers figured out that uh, they could just call a Lambda function directly and sort of you know use the SDK, etc., to wrap it and kind of start powering backends. Mm -hmm. And there immediately came the question of, well, what if you supported HTTP uh, requests more natively and then you could build full-fledged backends on it? The issue you're describing is, you know, you could use Lambda by itself. Yeah. Invoke the Lambda function, mm -hmm. but you got to do it via the Lambda SDK. SDK, yeah, which, which which works quite nicely in applications, but right. there's no real native HTTPS and Correct. HTTP support, right. which is what you're calling out here. Yeah, right, exactly. And and you know, enter API gateway, yeah. and and immediately, you know, that that sort of ties back to the standing ovation that that Stephanie was referring <laughs> yeah. to. That was a huge inflection point. You know, directionally, what we kept hearing, Tim, when we kept going, is people loved the Lambda application development model. They loved not being able to, you know, not having to pay for idle and only paying for compute time, but they needed the languages that they cared about, right? So yeah. Lambda started with just Node. Uh, the next two big ones that we heard about for Python and Java, you know, we launched those within three and six months of, of Lambda coming out immediately. Um, and then sort of the, the, the other one was, you know, we started out with these data processing use cases. We went on to interactive backends using, using API Gateway Lambda. Um, one of the other most interesting inflection points that happened was at reInvent last year, 2015 where uh, we added support for uh, uh, running Lambda in response to scheduled events as well as uh, changes in AWS resource states. So you know, if an EC2 instance spins up or down or a cloud formation stack comes up or down, you can trigger a Lambda function yeah. and change your logic. And that suddenly opened up a whole new set of use cases where people could now use Lambda as a way to kind of build policy engines mm -hmm. and, and you know, mechanics for managing even their own AWS infrastructure. And the beauty of that use case though, and you know, this is the fun part is, um, Lambda offers a million requests for free. And that's many, an awesome free tier, by the way. That's an amazing free, free, free tier. And it never expires. Um, and most people who are using it for these sort of control plane operations um, never ever broke the free tier. So right. they had this free policy engine that was helping them drive down their own costs mm -hmm. up to 20% like Capital One was doing. And, and it was not even costing them anything to build it out. So, uh, you know, and kind of what I feel like 
what rounded out the complete picture was us introducing the ability for uh, Lambda functions to access resources running within a private IP space. So one of the things we heard uh, early on was customers saying, my workflow requires to you know look up something from a, a database sitting on my on my on-prem server or in an RDS instance and saying I want to be able to read the data, but I don't want to expose it to the public internet such that you know I can I can access it. Now you could have put it yep. behind API gateway and Absolutely. done something yeah. of that sort. <laughs> but but the easiest thing was to allow Lambda to access that private IP space in a secure manner. Yeah, so it's basically VPC support, VPC right? We're talking support, about here. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, a couple of months ago we got that out the door and the feedback's been really, really strong about it. You know, a whole bunch of customers have already built functions that are using VPC as the mechanism for accessing their resources. Mm -hmm. So with this now, and you know, that trend is going to keep continuing, I feel. You're going to have people asking for more languages, more event sources, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, flex more of, the, more, of the, more, the, more of the limits and application patterns that people are seeing. But sort of these three use cases of data processing, backends, and sort of these policy engines are, are just, you know, exploding every single They're day. They're fantastic. Yeah, I kind of kind explain of to our customers yeah. often, you know, I think of Lambda as, it's, it's fantastic. Think of it as a macro, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's great for eventing. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you can almost give it away to, and if we actually, I guess, had, um, you know, ways of simply scripting these, you can do it via the console, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can do it via Visual Studio, we've got an SDK yep. plugin for that, yep. uh, we've also got an Eclipse plugin for writing yep. Lambda functions, yep. you know, these are great ways, you know, mm -hmm. stuff you can buy, you know, develop Amazon voice services skills yep. via yep. Lambda, it's another skills. great use case. Yeah, um, actually that's a great one, like that was probably my favorite demo to do, is just, you know, using <laughs> Alexa to, yeah. to trigger Lambda functions and it's really, really powerful. Uh, one thing I'll call out actually between, you brought up the development model, both these services, we have strived really hard to stick to what is standard, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Lambda supports a standard version of Node, Python, and Java. You don't need to kind of learn a new framework or a which programming is key. model, exactly. which is key. So yeah. which means all the tools you use for those languages work as is out of the box. You know, yeah. API Gateway works with a uh -huh. format yeah. called Swagger. Which, yeah. You know, you just talk about that stuff. So uh, API Gateway is slightly younger than Lambda. It was launched um, last July at the New York Summit. Um, there's two major inflection points that I can identify. The first is when we integrated Swagger, both as an export and as an import. Mm -hmm. What was happening is that customers... By the way, it's so, so casual, but yeah, it's just for those that don't know, what, what is Swagger? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, some Swagger, say will know it very well, others may not. Uh, Swagger is an open standard, a language that allows you to define the shape of an API, of the public interface of an API, and we've extended it to also allow you to specify what we call the integration piece of API Gateway. So how do you, we communicate with your backend? Mm -hmm. And what was happening when we launched API Gateway is that a lot of customers were coming to the API Gateway console, uh, testing API Gateway, creating an API, it's quite right. a uh, nice visual experience. Uh, and then they had to recreate it in Swagger mm -hmm. to kind of get it going and push it to production. So the first thing we did was allow you to export what you've mm -hmm. built in the console into Swagger and that allowed customers to very quickly get that definition, they test it out and put it um, into the source repository. The next big inflection point was when we launched custom authorizers. Mm -hmm. um, API Gateway launched with the ability to support AWS auth or SIGV4 as you said and that is extremely powerful. However, a lot of our customers already had their identity providers, their authorization Built strategy in, in yep. place. Mm -hmm. um, and so they asked us for a way to um, support that in API Gateway. Obviously, we had no interest and we didn't want to see their secrets. We didn't want to natively support yeah. the ability to crack open their tokens. That's right. And so we thought that custom authorizers using Lambda function was a very, very elegant way to do that. When we receive a request, uh -huh. we'll just pass everything we know about this request to this Lambda function you own. Mm -hmm. 
do whatever you need to do to authorize it and just <clears throat> let us know again with a very fine-grained policy what this token is allowed to do within your entire API. Mm -hmm. We'll cache it and deal with that going forward, but the decision is entirely in your power Design and in your control. Code. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what would you say was the most favorite feature that, have cust that have customers have actually given us feedback on in API Gateway? So there's a um, custom authorizers was huge. Uh, I think there's two there's two customer conversations that I'll always remember with API Gateway and Lambda because mm -hmm. both happened with um, the two services. Uh, one was a uh, very large customer is uh, planning to launch a marketing application and do a big marketing push. Yeah, and very common use case. Yeah. yeah, extremely common use case and setting up the infrastructure to run that. Uh, it's doable, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. You need to pre-warm it in advance. We had customers coming to us. Um, what was it? Three days before their launch. Three days before right. their launch, asking for last minute. Last minute, and they were asking for a hundred thousand DPS. Wow, that's huge. One. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. You know, you, not yeah. many websites in the world would be able to handle that kind of thing. So, um, their ask basically to us was, uh, they, you know, you, can you guys handle the scale that we want to throw at you? And the answer for us was a very simple yes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and that in fact, uh, and three days later. They tested their API uh, on Lambda up to 100,000 DPS, and they went ahead on a really successful launch. Now they didn't get the traffic they were expecting, right. but but they knew that if it ever showed up, it mm. would be able to. And we load tested with them to 100,000 100, RPS, yeah, so RPS, and it worked great. We pushed it, fantastic. And and what was the, the the interesting thing that the customer came back and told us was they actually didn't think that we. They, they just threw out 100,000 as a number, as an aspiration right. number. Okay. <laughs> for us to test to work. And they never actually thought that we would be able to do it. Uh -huh. And so they kind of walked away with, wait a minute, you just yeah. did 100,000 TPS and, and then flinch and, and the performance was great. So mm -hmm. sort of performance at scale is a huge, huge aspect of both services that, that they're able to appreciate. And for these spiky workloads like this, marketing yeah. push, everything happens in the space of a few minutes. It's great because there's no resources to pre-provision and keep running and pre-warm. It's just you pay for the request you receive. Yeah, yeah. And it's and near, and you just turn on, right? Like everything yeah, else, it's a push button or an API yeah. call and we activate it and it's provision. Yeah. That's right. Actually, you know, that brings me uh, to the, something I've seen on the Lambda mm -hmm. side as sort of a favorite feature is not having to pay for the idle resources that you're yeah. keeping on. Like I had a customer, uh, it's a Singapore-based publishing company, uh, and they were had this sort of proprietary image processing license that they were paying for, mm -hmm. for a few million images they used to do every day and was costing them, I don't know, $30,000 a month uh, to kind of keep that going. Mm -hmm. right. And they came to us and said, hey, you know, if I put the images in S3, can I just use Lambda for processing it using a standard library that, that we are providing? Oh, sure. And I'm like, sure, they, they wrap the library within within Lambda, code that they own, they start running with the Lambda, mm -hmm. and now their monthly bill is $302, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so you've gone from, you know, having all that capacity sitting around with a proprietary image licensing system running on it, hoping images would show up and process it, mm -hmm. to only doing work when there was work to do at, at yeah. a cost of sort of, you know, there's a number I love saying, 21 microcents mm -hmm. for 100 milliseconds. You know, that, that kind of granularity of gaming <laughs> That's pretty is cool. ridiculous. But I have the, um, yesterday, um, during my talk, I had Tamando, uh, yeah. a customer from Australian stage with us, and they have a monolithic system that they're now migrating to API Gateway and Lambda, and they had a very similar story. I think they said that they were spending about $30,000 a month running huge relational databases yeah. and and they moved uh, part of the system to Lambda and API Gateway and ran their actual production mm -hmm. workload through it. 
And I think they did, what did they say, AJ? They bill for the month was sixteen dollars something. Yep. yep. Sixteen dollars. <laughs> yeah. Pretty. It's pretty incredible, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, when, you, when you think of you know, thousands and hundreds of dollars for infrastructure, you know, yeah. it's the cost of a of a of a decent lunch, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what else are we seeing? I mean, a lot of customers are saying let's go serverless for everything. Um, you know, all the way from my website, you know, yeah. sitting in S3 as a static website with mm-hmm. maybe CloudFront yeah. on the CD inside and yeah. the APIs. How common is that? Is that a, uh, that's, is that really the future? Because I mean, that's what I think is going to, we'll be heading down the path of. Uh, yeah, a lot of our customers want to go yeah, that way, right, down right, a path. Right, yeah. They go to this legacy infrastructure they're trying to get off sometimes. API Gateway Lambda is a great forcing function to say, actually, you know, I've got this massive legacy system. This is... a I'm gonna go serverless. That's yeah. just what I'm gonna do. It's a yeah. great forcing function for the migration. One of my favorite story, and it, a lot of our customers, particularly startup, do exactly that. They have a static website running Angular on mm-hmm. um, S3 with CloudFront to serve it, and then they run APIs with API Gateway Lambda to fetch the data. And one of my favorite story was a startup we talked on the phone not too long ago that launched recently. They do exactly this, uh, but I think what struck me was they said that they they built. Not just their application; they built their entire business in about what one thousand lines of code. Mm-hmm. Right! Wow! <laughs> and, uh, and, That's impressive. And they were out the door very, very quickly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, actually, you know, in terms of trends, what what's really fascinating for me is, uh, I think a quote from Adobe CTO last year mm-hmm. after reInvent was my favorite. He put a tweet out which said, "He's giving his entire team the guidance that mm-hmm. they start with API Gateway and Lambda as the way to build an app. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, if they're not able to." They go on to do something else, more traditional, more traditional, traditional, yeah, traditional yeah. applications. Yeah. But then immediately send feedback to the two of us on, on what needs to be changed. And yeah. you know, true to form, they've been sticking to that. Like there, there's a whole bunch of pieces of feedback that we hear and things that we talk through about. Now that said, like any other um, sort of when when things are new, there is going to be sort of that adoption Absolutely. change that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, there's there's this lambda kind of brings together these trends of uh, compartmentization or modularization that you're mm-hmm. seeing with containers and microservices, yep. kind of this trend towards packing things into smaller, well-defined units, as well as this whole push of our services being reactive, we're talking to each other through events, or talking to each other through APIs, mm-hmm. right? And and Lambda and API Gateway kind of embrace that model as the native way to do things, mm-hmm. and, and almost kind of are very opinionated about making sure that we set up things almost, quote-unquote, the right way um, for, yeah. for, for building it, right? Not to say that you can't do that with, with the services that you have, like, you know, I I, I, I always talk to customers about this is who owns the responsibility mm-hmm. right there are cases where owning servers the containers and being responsible for those boxes and scaling them and efficiency mm-hmm. is the right thing for you to do and for yep. your business yeah. and absolutely that should be the way that you go forth and do it and I always imagine there will be cases where people want to do that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but for everything else AWS can do that for you like you know it it's something that we have a little bit of experience yep. in. <laughs> yeah yeah so, decade or so perhaps yeah. So, yeah so so you know we, we, we can definitely do that and help you achieve what you need to do you know and and like he said about yeah. the startup, mm. focus on building your business with sort of the minimal lines of code that you need to go and run for it. Like, it's such a good point. <clears throat> I think being opinionated is very important because as a startup, as a developer, it's very hard to remain opinionated when mm-hmm. you need to deliver something quickly. And the classic example is in Lambda, the fact that functions are stateless. Yep. And in API That's a great is, design principle, right? It will help right. you be stateless by kind of forcing your hand a little bit. But it's bit, so right? easy to compromise on that when you need to deliver quickly. Yeah. Right? And it's the same story for API Gateway where we try to nudge you toward restful looking mm-hmm. APIs. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new way of building software, right? Because yeah. when you think about it, you know, you, you often talk about sprints mm-hmm. and you know the classic, you know, two week sprint perhaps. Yeah. You might actually find and we're seeing this with some of our customers whereby you've got the micro sprint. 
The, the single deployable unit is the Lambda function with the API gateway yeah. fronting that, and that could be done in an afternoon, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So you can actually get from these two, two week, which might now seem like a, like a lifetime yeah. of the sprint, yeah. down to, you know, I've spent a couple of hours, or maybe an eight hour block, where yeah. you come in, in the yeah. morning, you get, your, you get your story or your backlog, yeah. you work towards that, and bang, you're done. Well, yep. I, uh, his customer, Demando, built a functioning microservice on stage in 10 minutes yesterday, using API yeah. Gateway. There you go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they could have thrown load at that service, and it would have worked, and it would have been highly available and scaled, and they yeah. would have only paid for the compute cost, and performance would not have varied. That's the world that, that API Gateway and Lambda have sort of opened up as a, yeah. as a development model for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, what's going to be interesting is as this evolves is looking at all the other elements, right? So mm -hmm. how do we do development and debugging and, and performance yeah. monitoring and all those yeah. things. And the nice thing about AWS is we have a very rich set of partners uh, using our partner network for, for helping that out, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for example, Lambda functions are just code, so you can do deployments through through CodeShip and CloudBeast and others. Exactly. You can do monitoring through services like Sumo Logic yeah. and Splunk. Um, API Gateway has a rich set of uh, tools yeah. that we have. Uh, where I, I was very surprised us. when we launched API Gateway. I expected the market to be excited, but I, I think it was three days after launch, Freescale, which is a, a big player in the API management space, yeah. built a version of their service, which includes the developer portal uh -huh. and uh, the API key management that runs on Amazon API Gateway and integrates with Amazon API Gateway. Awesome. And it's just been it's been an incredible ride. Yeah. We are get, very, very fortunate to have this kind of partners. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, you know, because we, again, our model is, you know, take the heavy lifting away from our customers. Yeah. Let us do that for you as a service, as an API, and then you leverage and provide the business value on top of that. Yeah. And the agility, you know, the 10 minutes on stage mm -hmm. yeah. to build a service that's mm -hmm. production ready. Absolutely. With authentication yeah. against your credential stores. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's quite an amazing story. Guys, just to wrap up, you know, any unusual um, customer requests that you may have heard while you've been down here in Australia? Oh. <laughs> Australian specific customer requests. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd like to think we're unique, but I think on a global yeah. scale, I think a lot of the common use cases are international. Yeah. yeah. No, I think the big one, of course, is making sure that the two services work in the Sydney region, and we're working really yes. hard to get to this <laughs> as soon as we can. We have, we heard surprisingly a whole bunch of people asking for PHP as a preferred language. That wasn't something that we've heard from mm -hmm. other parts right. of the world and customers that we've heard for. And as always, you know, customer votes is is the one that influences our roadmap. So yeah, you know, indeed. Never. But I am cheating on this because every day I'm by his desk asking for Go support. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to add my .net. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So. Great guys, thanks so much for spending no you know uh, a bit of time with us. So guys, thanks again for being here and uh, being part of the uh, AWS um, Tech Chat. Hey, top interview, Pete. You did a great job sequestering those guys away for thirty minutes. I certainly learned a thing or two, and listeners, I hope that you did as well. Well, that's all that we have time for in this episode, so tune in again for more interesting AWS-related tech chats. Until next time, may all your CloudFormation templates successfully deploy. Signing off, this is Russ. And this is Dr. Pete. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn more about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to the AWS Tech Chat through iTunes, SoundCloud, or by Googling AWS Tech Chat.